clap. It's okay, you can. I am so impressed. I know one language, English, and we have a lot of people in our midst today who, who speak at least two, and including Tirza. So um, just, uh, I'm very impressed. She's a student at Marysville Getchell and is doing, doing amazing work. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the privilege today of not only maybe hearing it in a new way as we just have, but Lord, also um, having your word come to us in our hearts and understanding something new about who you are, who you want us to be in relationship with you. We pray, God, for, uh, for an openness and for a word from you today. We pray through Christ. Amen. Well, we've been considering the lives and the stories of Old Testament people this fall, ordinary folks whose lives went from insignificant to magnificence as they joined with God in his epic plan for the world. We began with Gideon. We learned that God prefers to use those who appear inadequate. He's got a penchant for using those who seem small and powerless in the world's eyes. Then with Adam and Eve, we considered the question, now that you know what you know, what will you do? Last week, we heard an excellent message from Pastor Dan on, on Noah, and we, we heard that it's not about being perfect, but rather listening to the God who is perfect and has a perfect plan for this world. It's not about us being epic. It's rather that God is doing something epic. So all three of these messages um, are available either on our website or on iTunes. If in case you need to catch up, they're there. You can listen to them. So today we come to Abraham. And Abraham is actually known as, uh, more than really any other Old Testament figure, Abraham is known as the first father of the Hebrew people. And partly because of this story in Genesis 15 is he known as the father of the Hebrew people. Now, although he is referred to as Abram, in this passage, because he hasn't yet received his new name. That happens in Genesis chapter 17. You'll forgive me if I refer to him as both Abram and Abraham today. It's the same guy, and uh, I, I go back and forth because it's hard to remember to call him by the correct name. So we'll just, um, if you allow some, some grace here, we'll call him Abraham. He has, uh, just, just before this passage that Terza read this morning, he has just rescued his nephew, Lot. Lot was captured by the kings of Elam, Goyim, Shinar, and Elasar. And these four kings and their armies had just defeated five cities and their kings. And among those cities are Gomorrah and the city of Sodom, where Lot was living. So Lot and his family were taken captive by these, these kings. And so Abraham found this out, and he pursued 
Lot's captors and recovered his nephew and afterward he was blessed by the high priest of Salem whose name, whose name is Melchizedek. And uh, Melchizedek is important because he appears again in, uh, his name appears again in the book of Hebrews. But Melchizedek comes and he blesses Abraham and then in an, in an act of amazing unselfishness, Abraham not only gave a tithe, 10% of what he had recovered, the plunder, to this high priest, but then he also returned the rest of the goods to their original owner, the king of Sodom, saying, I don't want everybody to think that I became rich because of you. And so he returns all the plunder, which is, which is unheard of. So immediately after all this is the text of this morning. Abraham has a vision and God speaks to him. And he says, first of all, do not be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield. Your reward will be great. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, it ought to, because this is what God often says when he's talking to people. The first thing he says is don't be afraid. It happens here, but it also happened to Abraham's son, Isaac, and then his son, Jacob, also to Hagar. It's said by God later to Moses and also to Joshua, and even later to the prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and then, of course, in the New Testament as well, we hear these words, do not be afraid. Why is this that God always says, do not be afraid? Well, the bottom line is that there's a lot to be afraid of. Even though Abraham has just rescued Lot and his family from evil men, Abraham is still is in a situation of great risk in his life. And this is also true of all of these that I have just mentioned. Life is risky. There are enemies in life. There are things that can happen to you that are not good things. But God's word comes to them and comes to him, Abram, in this setting and comes to you and me as well. And it's always the same. Do not fear. God is committing to protecting you, Abraham. Do not fear. And of course, we stand at this point in history where we know the rest of the story. God did protect Abraham. Even though he did some really dumb things later, and you can read about them. The stories of Abraham are amazing because he's faithful, and yet he at times, he just kind of takes matters into his own hands, but he really didn't need to because God was going to protect him anyway. So as we're telling about those whom God uses in magnificent ways, it's important that we begin here with a strong sense that there is really nothing to be afraid of. God is a shield. God is a deliverer, and he's offering to be this for you and me as well. Do not be afraid. 
Now, this may have been a bit tough for Abram to grasp because his response to God's offer of deliverance and reward was this. God, master, what use are your gifts that you're promising me as long as I am childless? And Eleazar, my, my servant, will inherit everything I've got. Yeah, it's one thing to be kept safe, but what's the point, he's saying. I could become very rich, but I have no children. And for Abraham, this was a big deal. So God then gets specific with Abraham about his reward, and he promises not only to give him a son, but then he takes him outside and he tells him to look up at the stars and try to count the stars. I love this picture. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to do this, but it's really hard to count stars. Have you tried? Uh, Especially if you get away from the smog and the the, uh, forest fire smoke that we've had recently, not to mention the city lights. Apparently, if you have the you know, technology to help you, there are actually 73 sextillion stars visible at one time. So go ahead and try to count those. <laughs> but Abraham, in his clear Middle Eastern night sky, which I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that, maybe up in the mountains or out in the, uh, the plains of Africa where some of us have gone, places where there's not city lights, you look up, you probably can see one or 2,000 stars with the naked eye. This is more than Abraham can count. Truth of the matter is that God was vastly understating what would eventually happen. He was saying, see all those stars, go ahead and count those stars. And he's not able to count them. But even that was way less than what actually will happen. Bottom line, when God makes a promise, it's going to happen. Maybe not on your or my timetable. And he was clear with Abraham about this. There was going to be a time that his his family would go to another country, Egypt, and they would be there for hundreds of years. And there was, before they would return to the the promised land in Canaan. But the numbers returning from Egypt, we know this because we know the stories from Exodus, the numbers of people, these are Abraham's children. They were massive. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands came back from Egypt. God's promise was not only good, but it was more than Abraham could even imagine. There's a famous quote by one of the most uh, well-known Christian leaders of the 19th century, D.L. Moody. He said, if God is your partner, make your plans big. Good advice. God's promise to Abraham was a good promise. So now God has given Abraham a lack of fear and he has given him hope. 
One more thing to notice here. This whole offering thing that happens. A heifer, a goat, a ram, a dove, and a young pigeon. Did you hear that in the reading? The heifer and the goat and the ram were dismembered. Now, I know this is a little gross. Um, unless it's, it's a part, butchering is a part of your daily life. How many of you butcher on a regular part of your daily life? Nobody here. Okay. Well, I think probably for Abraham it was a part of his life. So cutting an animal up was not a big deal for him. But in this case, what God basically asks is that the animals are split in half and laid on the altar. That night, God formalized a covenant with Abraham by having a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch move between the split carcasses. What's going on here? Well, it's a way of solemnizing or ratifying a covenant, a treaty, a, a partnership, really. There's another older Middle Eastern non-biblical story that is well known <clears throat> involving a treaty between the king of Assyria and the king of the city of Arpad. And this treaty involved a ceremony where animals were laid out just like in this story. And then the parties of the treaty agree that if they were to break the treaty, the same thing would happen to them as happened to the animals. Yikes. So there's a curse involved, a blessing and a curse involved in this treaty. And scholars see this event in Genesis as God intending to enact something similar with Abraham. It's a treaty, it's a partnership with Abraham involving both blessings and curses for both parties. Now this is extraordinary, folks. Here's God forming a two-way partnership with Abraham to guarantee, to stand by him, to work with him, to participate, to protect, to partner with him. God partnering with Abraham. <clears throat> Don't know if you've ever been in a situation where somebody you didn't imagine was suddenly going to partner with you. I remember I was 15 years old and I loved music and I was learning how to play the piano. And I was playing the piano one day and the choir teacher at school, and I didn't really know him because I wasn't in choir, I was in the band, played the trumpet, but he came and he said, you play the piano? And I said, yeah. And he said, here, I'm gonna play this thing here on this, on this, on this page, but it's just chord, chord symbols. I'm gonna play this, see if you can play it. So he sat down and he played this, this thing and it was the, it was the beginning of the, uh, the popular song by the Carpenters, We've Only Just Begun, which was appropriate. And I sat down and copied what he did. And he said, interesting. He said, you know, I want you to um, go to the counselor and um, yeah, I know you're in another elective, but I want you to be in the choir 
and I want you to play the piano with me because I don't have a piano player and I'm trying to get my choir to sing better, but I'm behind the piano and I can't inspire them if I'm behind the piano. I want to get out in front of them so I can really get them to sing. And I want to do this music that doesn't have notes on the page, but I think maybe you could do it. So he made a, uh, a, a recording. We had a new technology called cassette tapes. And he made a cassette tape for me and I, I took it home and I listened to him play and I learned how to play exactly like Mr. Taylor played the piano and I came back and he stood in front of the choir and he lifted his hands and he started and the music started and he was so excited. He came to me afterwards and he says, you and I together, we're gonna, we're gonna be able to make this choir really sing. We're gonna have great music at our junior high. I was so excited that I got to participate with Mr. Taylor in creating this, this amazing music. I had never had a teacher come to me before and say, you know what, you and I should work together. It was, it was an amazing experience. But all because of this invitation to partnership with him. It can result in life changes that are, that are impossible to imagine. Remember the stars in the sky? We've got to remember this aspect whenever we hear the word covenant. It's a working relationship, a partnership. It always has been. And with God as your partner, how should you make your plans? That's right. Make your plans big. So here's a question for you. How's your partnership with God going? Jesus spoke of his relationship with his disciples in a very similar way. He used a little different metaphor. One time he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. When you're, when you're joined with me and I'm joined with you, the relation, intimate, organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. This is a, a close connection. This is a partnership he's talking about. This is what God wants with you. So how's it going? Are you a willing participant? Are you eager to serve? Or are you more interested in another agenda? Remember Abraham. He didn't need to fear. He had a promise and therefore hope. And he was blessed beyond his wildest dreams. Amen. We come to this table today